This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Welcome along to another edition of Talking Travel on 2NURFM. I'm Wayne Stamp. With me is Sally Lucas. We're here for our sponsor, Travel World on King. You've got this wonderful big book, what, Thousand and One Natural Wonder Places to Go Before You Drop Off. Exactly, before you shed your mortal coil. Yes. And, and honestly, I'm not trying to outdo Jules Lund on television. I had this book before they even invented this series, so they're Jules. <laughs> And Gary Sweet and Lavinia and Nixon or whatever it is. So they're nani nani. So I've got plenty in here to talk about. Okay. Um, we covered a few the other week, South America and Australia, and I thought we'd move on to, to Britain, mm-hmm. um, all, the, all that area, England, Scotland, Wales, a bit of Ireland, okay, and okay. See, see what there is to see there. Okay. Um, Scotland first, and I mean, I guess anyone that's been to Scotland has probably wanted to go and see Loch Ness and see if they can find Nessie. I mean, I don't know whether anyone has or got a photograph of her. Have you spotted Nessie? <laughs> recently? <laughs> Not <no>. recently. <laughs> um, Not but, the last fortnight. But the, um, that part of Scotland, actually, is in an area called the Great Glen. And apparently it follows a 350-million-year-old fault line that mm. cuts diagonally across the Scottish Highlands, which gives rise to this series of locks or lakes. So they are quite unique in in their formation, and it is they are quite beautiful to see, and always very I don't know what the word there calming. You know, it's just this beautiful still sheet of water with lovely reflections, and it is quite beautiful. And quite near to there, of course, you've got wonderful mountains with Ben Nevis being you know one of your tallest mountains in Scotland, and it's in this same area where they've had this divide of, of Scotland through this fault line. And also you've got Loch Lomond, of course, many songs about the old Loch Lomond. Yes. Wonderful Loch Lomond, Bonnie Bonnie Banks of thereof, mm-hmm. um, um, and then going on just a little bit further from Scotland, um, I'm doing down to the south of England, and one place there I found. I mean, we've got the three sisters in the Blue Mountains, but they've got seven. Have they? Did you know they had seven I didn't sisters? Know they had seven sisters. No, they're in East Sussex in England. And it's the name given to a line of, um, they call them majestic undulations in those chalky cliffs you see, you know, down the. The white, oh, yes. the white Cliffs of Dover type situation. And they are actually made from like a, a calcareous sort of marine algae, apparently, and seashell fragments. So I guess the sea once was much higher, and then it's, of course, it's, as we all know, it, the sea has reduced. And it's left these incredible formations of these seven sisters. So there's something you can see that you mightn't have known about in East Sussex. Mm. Okay. Um, moving right along, let's go on. You've got an area called the Jurassic Coast. Now, I didn't know this existed either in Dorset. And apparently in 1811, a little 12-year-old girl called Mary Anning discovered an unusual fossil skeleton on the beach near Lyme Regis in Dorset. And it was the first complete skeleton of an ichthyosaur, which is the uh, Greek for big fish lizard or a giant marine reptile. Mm -hmm. And anyhow, these creatures lived earlier than dinosaurs, about 250 million years ago. But this whole coastline apparently is an actual uh, natural world heritage site, and it's about 95 miles of it because they've found absolutely unbelievable evidence of the Triassic, Jurassic and Cretaceous eras. Is that right? So there you go. Aren't you a font of knowledge? So I'm giving you a history lesson today. Are you impressed? No, I'm very impressed. I think this is wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Wales, Snowdonia, and it's the second largest national park in England and Wales. You've only got 26,000 people living there, and it actually is quite a wild place. And they've got lots of rare birds there as well, and lots of unique different creatures and a lot of people go to Snowdonia for the walking and of course Mount Snowdon itself so it's nearly always snow capped and it's a very pretty part of the world as well so look there's lots of lovely places you can go and how about the Giant's Causeway 
Okay. That's in Northern Ireland. Now, I think there was a, a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a myth, not a myth, a story or a legend that goes with it that they, they look like big steps when mm-hmm. you look at them. And that was originally, I think, uh, they were saying that it was originally attached to Scotland. And I don't know whether the Scotland and the Irish like that connotation that um, someone actually, you know, stepped across a giant. Oh, is that how it goes? Yes, it, ah, it came across, and but I mean, it is it is absolutely amazing. But it's um it looks man made. It's sort of so shaped like you just can't believe it. But apparently, again, it was caused by volcanic activity. Molten lava came and cooled and left these incredible formations. And that's right at the top of Northern Ireland in County Atrum, and that's apparently quite unique to visit as well. I mean, not that anyone can see this, but you can. And you look at those formations, you look at this island of formations, and it looks like a miniature skyscrapers. You know, they're mm. just tall, square, absolutely square, geometric. And you think, how can nature do that? It's quite fascinating. Isn't it? It's a wonderful photo. You might hold yeah. that up for our listeners so I'll they can see it. I'll hold it up so they can see oh, it. Oh, yes, very nice, yes. <laughs> Um, and they're just some of the things, but also you can go in, we can go into Europe and there's wonderful parts of Europe, of course, as we all know, the Valley of the Rhine, the Black Forest. Um, you've got some beautiful mountains there. You've got the Bay of Mont Saint-Michel in France, Mont Blanc, of course, which is Europe's highest mountain. And I mean, it's just fantastic. And you can do walks in lots of these areas too. I mean, you don't have to actually, you know, do the real strenuous walk to the top of Mont Blanc, but I mean, there are walks in and around all these mountainous areas, which are wonderful things to do. As we've been saying, there's so much out there to do that's away from the norm. Like you don't just have to do the, the tourist trap. You can get away from that tourist trap and do lots of different activities. So could you organise to do this pretty easily? Like if you wanted to do all of these, this sounds like an awful lot to see. Oh yeah, it is. I mean, most of the ones we're talking about in England are quite easy and quite accessible, okay. right? Now some of the others, you know, like climbing mountains or something like that, obviously you've got to organise. You oh, know, sure. you wouldn't you wouldn't do that as an independent thing. Um, but you can organise it. And there are actual proper walking tours that do Mont Blanc and you know okay. do the Tatra Mountains in Poland and Slovakia. So yes, you can organise it, and we've got access to that sort of information. You know that people can gain, and if they want to do an outdoor activity. But a lot of these other areas, if you were just hiring a car and pottering around England, that's something you can just do on your own. Okay. You know, so they are quite accessible. All right. So, so talk to your, uh, your travel agent about uh, different things to do. Well, yeah, and as I said, just think outside the square a bit. There's so much out there to see and do. So okay. go out and do it. Lots of books around on that sort of thing as well. Welcome back. This is Talking Travel on 2NURFM 103.7. For our sponsor, Travel World on King. I'm Wayne Stamp. With me is Sally Lucas. Asia. Now, this is a nice place to go. Big, isn't it? <laughs> it is big. It's huge. Like, I love the way we lump things in, don't we, Australians? Like <laughs> Europe, and everyone thinks they can go around it in five minutes. You know, like when people come to Australia from America and think they can go to Ayers Rock and back in a day. You know, oh, so. yeah. I had friends, I had relatives come out from the States once. They were here for two weeks. They wanted to see everything. Well, and did they? No. <laughs> of course not. And you won't do that in Asia either, of course. We've no. got a, a myriad of countries in Asia. But what I was just going to talk about today is just planning. And I mean, this would apply to wherever you go, of course, but I'm specifically just talking about Asia today. But as we've just said, it's a vast teeming continent and a little bit of pre, should I say, not plea, pre-trip homework can go a long way. And I think, as I said, that's the same with anything. As much pre-planning as you can do, much information you can arm yourself with, be aware of customs, you know, where you're going. So you're not going to, you know, be foot in, foot in mouth or do the wrong thing or upset somebody. And I think that that's really important. And do your usual pre-travel checks. You know, check Asia is a region of climatic extremes. And even within one country, like they have different seasons in Thailand, in different parts of Thailand. So it's really important that you check if you don't want to be there in crippling 
heat waves or wild monsoons, you know. So do do your checks, and it's really important, I think, weather can, can spoil a holiday, let's face it, if you get really bad weather. Mm. Um, I mean, cold or, or hot's okay, but you don't want extremes, you know. That's, what, I guess, what I'm saying. And visit your doctor, of course. I mean, obviously pack your dysentery type medication and you know anything else you think you may need and have it with you before you go always have it of course in its correct packaging okay don't have loose tablets or things or they might think you're a druggo so everything should be in its original packaging when you're taking any medications with you and just digressing for a moment there was that case in the paper this week about a man who got extremely ill because he didn't have his um, correct letter from a doctor about necessitating him having diabetic you know insulin and it was all the needles were taken off him and he still got on the flight and so then he's collapsed and you know it it was it it was lucky i mean he he came through it but he was extremely lucky so just always do these pre-medical checks see your doctor you know people should know by now you can't jump on board a plane with an armful you know a bag full of needles um so you've you've got to do these things. Um, and as I said, just make sure you plan. Check in the country if you're just going to be using a, a card mainly for your money, which is your safest way. Check if there's ATMs that you can use. Um, all these sorts of things. And just <laughs> that's, that's right. It's, let me tell you, if you're off to Langkawi, it's a long way back to the airport <laughs> to the ATM from your accommodation. <laughs> and there you go. That's from Wayne Stam. He's telling you this. And just... As it says, mind your manners, you know, yeah. when you go to places. I mean, be pleasant and smile. But in Thailand, for example, like the royal family is revered. And even doing something as putting your foot on Thai money is considered not not a thing to do because you're stepping on the king's face because his Ooh. face is on the money. Okay. You know what I mean? And even in, if you go to a cinema, um, they stand for the national anthem. Okay. You know, these are just little things, but I mean, and Singapore, of course, as we know, they um, were really draconian once with their, you know, r- rules of spitting and, you know, cigarettes and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing, which it still is, actually, and, and they're all banned on their transit system. And they will they will catch you out if you're not careful, and you've got fines, so just be aware. Um, in Japan, that was a really funny thing I read, that they said carry a stash of business cards. Um, even on holiday, people like to exchange business cards. This is something that they do. And when you receive a card, you must take it with two hands. With the writing facing up. I've seen that in the movies. Have you? Yes, and I have. And apparently when you hand over a card, you must do the same. You yes, use both sir. hands and have the writing facing up. Um, so there you go. And in, even in other countries like um, India and Sri Lanka, it's polite to wash your hands before and after you've eaten if you're in someone's home. But in China, they consider it polite to leave a little bit of food on your plate because an empty plate indicates you're still hungry. Oh, see, these are these interesting little things. Um, other things to do, of course, in Asia, I think, is head for your nearest markets. You know, they're they're always a buzz and thing to do. And I mean, a lot of the food stalls are good. Just be aware that you've got to see it. If it's come from out the back somewhere, you don't eat it. Okay, and of course, you steer clear of water. And that rem- <laughs> don't forget, ice is water. People seem to forget that, and they have a drink <laughs> with ice in it and forget it's water, unless you know, like it's a reputable hotel that has their purified water and all that sort of stuff. That means, and if you can't see it, as I said, don't order it. Um, but eating on the street can be a lot of fun. So you know, just quiz your even your concierge at your hotel, or you know, just find out where the best eating stalls and that markets are. And also, just with eating etiquette, just watch what the locals do. Mm. So you do the same. Like in China, it's all right to pick the bowl up and, you know, urgently shovel your shop stick with your food, you know, mm-hmm. into your mouth. But it's not etiquette to do it in, for example, in Korea. So, yeah, just just look. And if a restaurant's empty, don't go in there. You know, Asians will only 
popularise a restaurant that has good food. So if it's empty, don't go. Um, and, of course, wine is, can be very expensive. I know a lot of us are so used to drinking our wine with our meal now, but very, very expensive. But the Asian beers are a lot lighter. And in the hot climate, they're really, it complements their style of food anyway if you have a light ale rather than looking for, for wine. And just a little tip for duty-free. What you can now do, you can research and compare prices on alcohol, cigarettes, perfume, etc. at Duty Free and airlines around the world. And it's just www.thedutyfreepriceguide, all one word, thedutyfreepriceguide, no spaces, dot com. So a lot of people keep asking that, where's the best duty free or whatever. So you can research that yourself now before you even go. Yeah, I always look before I go out. I always take a look at Sydney on the, on the way out That's and see right. what it is. And then as soon as I get to wherever it is that I'm going, I run around and make my calculations <laughs> and decide where I'm going to buy right. it on the That's way home. Right. Some of them too, I've got a feeling in some places you can only take so much out. That's right. Uh, so as well. So there's restrictions. Yeah, you've got to well. be careful about your limits, etc. Yeah, and also just just remember now, as we've mentioned before, with lags as they call them, li- liquids, aerosols, etc., gels, um, in a little plastic Ziploc bag, hundred mil containers. Um, that's if you want to carry them in your hand luggage. Yep. If not, you know, just leave them in your suitcases, fine yeah. under their normal packaging. And the same happens with your alcohol. Remember, it is a liquid, people. Um, so same applies, especially if you're connecting. It's not so much when you're, um, once you've gone through your immigration, you can then buy them the duty free on the other side, but only if you're just going to that destination. If you're transiting somewhere to go on to the next place, you won't be able to take the alcohol. It'll be, it'll be taken off you. So it's only going to be where you're going straight from A to B. If you're going A via B to C, then no, you won't be able to take it. Might have to stick it in your luggage then, eh? That's right. That's all we've got for another week. We'll be back again next Friday for another edition of Talking Travel. We do that each week here on 2NURFM 103.7 for our sponsor, Travel World. I'm King.